The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to open today's program by welcoming members of our armed forces who are tuning in from remote locations, as well as new listeners on affiliates in Texas, Florida, New York, California, Ohio, and from coast to coast throughout all 50 states, including new friends in Alaska and Hawaii. Thank you for your emails and letters and also for making us part of your Newsweek. In just a moment, popular governor of Colorado, Mr. John Hickenlooper, will be joining the program to give us an update on how the legalization of marijuana is going on in his state, as well as Colorado's forward-looking policies on gun background checks, water conservation, homelessness, and other persistent and complex issues that the entire country is grappling with. But before Mr. Hickenlooper joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. John Wright Hickenlooper Jr. was born in Narbeth, Pennsylvania, and he is a graduate of Wesleyan University. With a graduate degree in geology in hand, he started his career with Buckhorn Petroleum in Colorado in the early 80s, but when the oil industry hit hard times, Hickenlooper was laid off from his job. But instead of moving to take a job elsewhere in the petroleum industry, Hickenlooper made the unexpected decision to open up the Wine Coop Brewing Company in a rundown area of Denver, which he himself admits was a was kind of a crazy idea. The success of his company ended up igniting a complete redevelopment of that area. If you've been to Denver recently, you know that that is a popular area for restaurants and nighttime entertainment. In 2003, Hickenlooper threw his hat in the ring and won the mayor's seat in Denver by an overwhelming popular vote, and this marked the beginning of his political career. He was named by Time Magazine as one of the top five mayors in the United States, so it came as no surprise when he was elected governor of Colorado in 2011, and three years later, he was asked to chair the National Governors Association. Hickenlooper has been a lightning rod for change, tackling intractable issues such as eliminating homelessness, legalizing marijuana, and requiring background checks for the transfer of firearms, as well as limiting the number of rounds allowed in uh, in magazines, weapon magazines. Uh, he has taken on all of these initiatives while leading the state legislature to pass five consecutive balanced budgets with bipartisan support. I also want to add that the governor has an inspiring new book out titled The Opposite of Woe, My Life in Beer and Politics, and we'll hear more about that a little later in today's program. Now, I understand that uh, Governor Hickenlooper is, uh, is joining us now. Is that correct? Uh, do do we have the governor on the line? No, all right. Well, I've got Charles Friedman here from the Charles Friedman program, and I know Charles, you have been watching the progress in the state of Colorado very carefully, and I won't say why. <laughs> I, I get a kick out of this. Colorado here's the centennial state with mining, energy production, agriculture, timber. The Continental Divide goes through Colorado. But when America turns its eyes toward Colorado, what do they see? Pot smoke. Well, they see more than pops, That's pot true. smoke. But the, Colorado the is, has been sort of a test bed for a lot of new progressive policies. It, 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 it's so um, disconcerting. Uh, what 
Colorado is doing is something that, in my belief, any state ought to be able to do. It was La Follette who originally described our states as laboratories of democracy. You know, try something, see what works, see what doesn't. But the federal government still classifies marijuana as a Class A controlled substance like heroin. Mm -hmm. So really, what is going on in Colorado now should not be going on in terms of what the law does or does not permit. Now, if you ask, but well, Charles, isn't this foolish? Should the federal government change its policy? Should Congress act to reclassify marijuana? Oh, yes. Yes, but you know that this has already gone to the Supreme Court and they have uh, kicked this back. Congress to the has to do this. Well, I understand that, but, and I under, well, you and I have had this conversation uh, many, many times before about the fact that the Supreme Court gives a, an opinion. They don't make law. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and, and we'll return to that, I'm sure, in the round table. Th- thanks for. Well, I think you've got Governor Hickenlooper I, I here. I do. Now. Let's, I think, let's see what I he think, has to, to report to us. I think we do have the governor on the phone. Governor? Rebecca, I'm here. Hi, terrific. So glad to have you join our program today. I We were just talking about the fact that Colorado has been on the forefront of so many controversial legislative changes, including the one that you initially opposed but have since weighed in, uh, given new evidence, and you claim might uh, turn out better than you thought, and that's the legalization of marijuana in Colorado. So bring us up to speed on how that seems to be working. Yeah, and and you're exactly right. I was dead set against it. I mean, you never want to be in conflict with federal law and, and trying to create a whole set of regulations and laws. And I mean, even Amsterdam never legalized it, right? They never taxed it. That's right. Uh, so it was, a, it seemed like just a steep hill. And we were very, very worried about young people thinking that it was okay since we legalized it so that we'd see a spike in usage among young people or, or, or among old people, among anybody, uh, and, and, and also worried about people driving while high. All these issues we had deep, deep concerns about. But the voters passed it almost 55-45. And this is America, right? This is democracy. So when the voters speak, uh, people like me have a real obligation to do the very best we can to, to try and make it work. And, and darn it, I think we're beginning to see less drug dealers uh, just anecdotally so far, but that's, there's seen to be so, several indications about less drug dealers, which, you know, they don't care who they sell pot to, right? They'll sell it to any teenagers, whoever. And, uh, and we haven't seen a giant spike in use by teenagers or, you know, uh, adults. We, I mean, pretty much the people that were using it before it was legal seem to still be using it. And the people that were not using it before it was legal still don't. <laughs> so many of the fears that you had on how this could go wrong actually didn't materialize. Yeah, I think to be to be honest, and again, I'm still cautious. I'm, I'm telling. I, I talked to a governor, another governor, last week, and I said, you know, if, if I were if I were giving advice, if you're asking for advice, I'd say wait a year or two just to make sure uh, that we don't have unintended consequences that we haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. You want to see the data. Yeah, I want to see the data to make sure that, that there are not more kids falling off the tracks. But, you know, the way it is, I mean, we've, we'll have about $120, $120, $125 million in tax revenue to, that, again, you know, Colorado has a $27 billion budget. So, I mean, it's not going to solve any problems. But it is money that we can use. I mean, the first $40 million goes for uh, – for build, for education buildings, school buildings, but then we we use it for mental health, we use it for regulation, we use it for marketing. You know, doing TV ads that tell kids, you know, even if you're a teenager, uh, especially if you're a teenager, that you know this high THC marijuana, if you use it only once a week, it, you you face a high probability that you're going to lose a, a little sliver of your long term memory every time you do it. Right. So some of those that those tax dollars are going into making sure that there's an appropriate education campaign going on. Exactly. The TV ads and whatever and, and posters and, uh, and and just regulating, making sure that people aren't, you know, uh, aren't getting uh, it's not becoming corrupt. Mm-hmm. So when you legalized marijuana in the state of Colorado, you thought of it in terms of an entire program, not just the legalization and access, but also the responsibility to put education out there and and uh, and to train people and put other kinds of regulations in place that would make sure it didn't get out of hand. Exactly. I mean, that, and, we, and we really did take it as a holistic, you know, we viewed it as this is going to be one of the great social experiments of the first half of the 21st century. 
And it has been, and I've noticed that you've, uh, as you mentioned earlier, other governors that are very interested in the potential tax revenues, you have come out and said, well, give it a little more time, let's get a little more data. This is not something you rush into, and I respect that very much. Now, we have to take our first break, but stay right where you are. When we come back, we're going to talk about another area where Colorado is leading the nation. You're listening to the Costa Report. Biodiversity is the very fabric of our lives. It is everything around us, all of nature. But human impact is diminishing biodiversity at an alarming rate. And because of that, the intricate web of biodiversity is unraveling in ways we don't fully understand, and our world is becoming less resilient. That's why we are biodiversity advocates. We're the E.O. Wilson Biodiversity Foundation. Guided by the greatest living naturalist, E.O. Wilson, we champion research and education that expands our understanding of biodiversity and informs worldwide conservation efforts. The E.O. Wilson Biodiversity Foundation is building a movement of environmental stewards like you who share our sense of responsibility for the living world that is our home. Join us in our quest to protect biodiversity, the fabric of our lives. Visit eowilsonfoundation.org. If you listen to the news today, you might come away with the impression that our biggest challenges are political and economic. But if this were true, then countries which have different political and economic systems would be facing different problems. But they aren't. Every government and every nation is struggling with job creation, debt, immigration, climate change, terrorism, health care, energy, and wild swings in financial markets. So something else must be going on. That's why I'm inviting you to get a copy of The Watchman's Rattle, a book which shows how the Roman, Mayan, and Khmer empires once faced similar challenges and what we can do to avoid their fate. Visit RebeccaCosta.com today and get a copy of The Watchman's Rattle, because once you do, you'll never look at the world the same way. Hi, it's Charlie from The Garden Company, your locally owned garden center. It's the season to relax and entertain outdoors, and we have some great ideas for enhancing your yard for you and your guests. We have awesome glazed ceramic pots in a wide range of colors, shapes, and sizes that are perfect for herbs, succulents, perennials, and dwarf citrus. Add some stylized whimsy to your garden with our beautiful bird baths, benches, gazing globes, and metal garden art. Let us help you put together a drip irrigation system and select an organic mulch to maintain the beauty of your garden while conserving water. Got bugs? We can identify plant health issues and recommend earth-friendly organic solutions. And of course, the Garden Company has a gorgeous selection of lush, blooming, hanging baskets, color bowls, and perennials to add instant color to any deck, porch, or patio. The possibilities are endless at the Garden Company Nursery and Gift Shop, 2218 Mission Street, across from Safeway on the west side of Santa Cruz. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thegardenco. The Garden Company Nursery and Gift Shop, proud member of Think Local First. Wow, I'm standing outside the Staff of Life Natural Food Store watching choppers buzz in and out like bees at their hive on a hot summer day. I'm wondering, what do all those shoppers find at Staff of Life they can't find at the big box store? Let's ask. Tom, I've been shopping at Staff of Life since they first opened. It's always good. Good prices, good selection. You always see people you know, like you. Hi, my name's Kalila. They're wonderful people, and I like to give my business to the people in my community. They have a good meat department. They have a great produce department. I mean, you can't find anything like this. It's for me that it's very satisfying to shop here. Sharon Santa Cruz. Staff of Life has the best food. Um, I get fresh everything I need. They have a lot of things I can't can't find anywhere else. Think local first and eat local first by shopping in genuine Santa Cruz tradition. The original locally owned Staff of Life natural food store at 1266 SoCal Avenue in Santa Cruz. If you can't find it at Staff of Life, maybe you don't want to find it.
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is the governor of Colorado, Mr. John Hickenlooper. And we've been talking about the results of the legalization of marijuana in the state of Colorado. And one of the questions a number of listeners have posed is what the age limit is. Uh, the age limit is 21. Is 21. Yep. So if, if anyone giving marijuana to uh, a minor is, is breaking the law, uh, although I will say that the, the brain scientists I've talked to, a bunch of them think that even 21, 22, 23, 24, your brain's still growing sufficiently rapidly uh, so that you, you probably, they're saying you, people should wait till they're 25 before they can feel like they're, they're smoking marijuana safely. That's what they uh, having, having raised children myself, I would say at 25, their brains are still growing and arguably maybe even after 35. <laughs> I'm just telling you what the guys have got all the fancy monitors. Now, the legalization of marijuana is not the only area where Colorado has led the nation in making these untested reforms. You also approved a number of changes in gun ownership, including the uh, limiting the number of rounds a magazine can hold, and also these background checks for gun transfers. Tell, Tell us about these measures and what caused you to approve those measures. Well, you know, after we had that big shooting uh, in the Aurora movie theater, I think it was about four years ago, uh, we obviously felt like you had to look into the issue. And, and the, I mean, the first thing was mental health. And we immediately went and increased our mental health spending by, it was over 30%. Uh, but we also looked at things like universal background checks. And, you know, it's funny when you got to into some of the final numbers that, you know, we looked at in 2000, this was in our legislative session in 2013, but we went back over the the data that came in from 2012, and we were getting to about half the gun purchases. Mm-hmm. And we went and we said, all right, our Republican friends are saying, you know, crooks aren't stupid. They're not going to get a background check to buy a gun. Why are we having to spend 10 bucks and wait around for 15 minutes? And so we went back and looked at the data of, did we catch anybody? you know, doing universal background checks uh, in 2012. And you know what? It turns out crooks are stupid. (laughs) There were, and think about this, there were 38 people convicted of homicide who tried to buy a gun and we stopped them. 133 people convicted of sexual assault. There were 420 people that had a judicial restraining order not to see their old spouse or their old boss. Uh, I mean, and, and just in case you think crooks really aren't stupid, 238 crooks, when they came to pick up their new gun, we arrested them for an outstanding warrant for a violent crime. No kidding. No. Oh, I, I love this story. Almost every Republican I could talk to who wasn't an elected official mm-hmm. said, of course you want background checks. We want to make sure that, that we don't put guns in the hands of dangerous people. I mean, it's not, it has nothing to do with the Second Amendment. Uh, in no way did we ever want to infringe on the Second Amendment. We just want to make sure that, you know, innocent people aren't killed by people that shouldn't have guns. Uh, anyway, we went through the whole process, and it was, you know, very, very divisive uh, and, and a difficult transaction. Two state senators got recalled uh, because of their votes on this thing. It was tough. Yeah, I, I know it was tough. And, and, you know, this is a volatile discussion. Anytime you talk about marijuana, anytime you talk about guns, you know, people's emotions get stirred up. Uh, I, you know, since the big problem with gun ownership and the people that commit these violent acts have mental health issues, I have never understood why the waiting period shouldn't be a little bit longer. Because if you're mentally unstable over the course of six months or one year, you're likely to have an event that's going to involve involve law enforcement. And I'd like that to be on record during the background check period. But when I tell people, what's the big deal? You're not infringing on, on your constitutional right if you make the waiting period a little bit longer to see if somebody's mentally ill. You know, but uh, but I get a lot of flack for that, and nobody seems to want to make the waiting period six months to a year. Um, but uh, but for me, the benefits far outweigh the uh, the length of time you have to wait. What you know, and everyone says, well, what about you can't protect yourself during that six months and one year? And I suppose you know they have a good argument uh, where that comes down. There seems to be considerable debate as to whether these uh, gun this gun legislation reform should be left to the states or whether the federal government needs 
needs to establish uh, better countrywide legislation. What's your feeling on that? Well, I think things like universal background checks. Uh, again, almost any place in the United States that I've been, uh, there's been a large majority of people think this is a good idea. And the National Rifle Association used to believe it was a good idea. Uh, for some reason, I'm not sure they view it as a way to sell more guns now, which I don't think should be the the appropriate dynamic by how we make these decisions. Uh, but I think, you know, a lot of these things, I mean, Judge the Supreme Court Justice Louis Brandeis said that states are the laboratories of democracy. And in many cases, maybe states can do take, uh, you know, see whether you can make a difference with one thing or another. But but oftentimes, if you look at cities that have really strict laws against guns like New York or Chicago, and yet still have a huge amount of gun violence, that's because there's a pipeline of guns coming in from those places where it's legal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's. Uh, I think w- one thing to consider is the illegal transfer of you know uh, of across interstate lines of of guns. I mean, maybe that's something we should look at having stricter penalties for. Right. Well, of course, if the federal government doesn't uh, take a stand on universal. Uh, background checks, you know, you, you what it means is you just have to drive over a state line, right? right. And so it, exactly. it it tends to not work uh, very well. But you've also taken a position on magazines, the size of magazines. Yeah, we went back and looked at the, since about, I think, well, I can't remember the dates, but I think it was 1985, there, there had been at that time, and this was back in 2013, there had been, I believe, uh, 42 mass shootings and... 32 of those had magazines that were more than, you know, had been with uh, magazines more than 15 rounds. Uh, a large number. Uh, again, I should have those facts in front of me. I don't. But, but it, was a, it was a large enough number that, that I became persuaded. I mean, and that, you know, that's a difficult one because there are, you know, there are 300,000, you know, high-capacity magazines already out there. Right. right. So no one's going and trying to collect them. We don't. No one suggested that. No one's even considered doing that. So, you know, passing the law it will take a long term to really make a difference. But in the end, you know, I, we couldn't find. We had an intern go back and look at every Nexus, Lexus, every media search, every newspaper article. We couldn't find a, an example of a single person defending their home who needed more than fifteen rounds ever. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then, then this is a, a gun that's really just for killing people. And if it's for killing people. Generally, that's, you know, it's either you're at war or it's somebody committing a crime. So is it illegal to have a high-capacity magazine in the state of Colorado? or and, and so are you looking for them and eliminating them? Or if you already have one, you have like an amnesty situation? Right. If you already have one, you get to keep it. You get to keep it. You just don't want the sale of any additional. Right. And the idea is over time that they will begin to disappear. That's the goal. But that's why I'm saying, again, we lost a couple of state legislators lost their their seats. Yes. Based on uh, a law like this, it's going to take many, many years to have, a, a, you know, the desired effect, which is obviously to reduce violent gun deaths. That's right. Now we have to take another scheduled break. When we return, uh, we'll hear more from Governor John Hickenlooper. You're listening to the Costa Report. In the opening of All Quiet on the Western Front, Eric Maria Remark wrote, This book is to be neither an accusation nor a confession, and least of all, an adventure. For death is not an adventure to those who stand face to face with it. It will simply try to tell of a generation of men who, even though they may have escaped its shells, were destroyed by the war. Today, Project Healing Waters offers men and women that have escaped the shells of war the opportunity to heal by teaching our returning veterans to fly fish in some of the most beautiful, tranquil rivers in our country. These natural surroundings have the ability to restore the human spirit, and with your help, Project Healing Waters is able to reach out to thousands of our men and women in the military every year. For information on how you can help, go to projecthealingwaters.org. Please give and give generously to those who have put their lives on the line for you. That's projecthealingwaters.org. Help those who have escaped the shells of war and need your help to come all the way back. Are you living with pain? 
So was Lisa, a brave Marine wounded in Iraq. After surviving an explosion, I was on horrible painkillers. I tried one-hour pain relief, and now I'm pain-free all day without dangerous side effects. And it works in less than one hour. Try it free for one week and pay only the shipping with no automatic shipments. Call 800-300-8410 right now or visit onehourpainrelief.com. That's 800-300-8410. 800-300-8410. Hi, registered pharmacist Ben Fuchs here. I've been studying healthy bodies for 35 years. And what I've got to tell you may shock and surprise you, but if you listen up, it may change your life. While many topically applied vitamins have skin health benefits, none can come close to the wide-ranging anti-aging effects provided by the retinoids, commonly called vitamin A, that is available in three major forms. The most common and the most stable form is known as retinyl palmitate, and while it's readily available in creams and lotions, it doesn't do very much for your skin. The second form of vitamin A is retinol. It's more active, and in fact, if you use a high enough concentration, say 5 to 10%, you can get a nice exfoliating vitamin A skin peel. However, retinol is quite unstable, and for this reason, you're only going to find these kinds of concentrations in a medical or skin professional setting. The third type is the most important. Chemists call it retinoic acid. It's known as active vitamin A because in the skin, it's the form that's doing the work. The benefits of topically applied retinoic acid include thicker, stronger skin, diminished dark spots, an improvement in photo damage, less wrinkles, and healing and prevention of acne blemishes. Retinoic acid-containing products do require a doctor's prescription, and they've been known to cause reactions. If you've tried to use retinoic acid and ended up with a rash, try using or upping your daily dose of essential fatty acids. Low levels of omega-3 and 6 essential fats can make skin sensitive and in deficiency states irritations are much more likely to occur. Pharmacist Ben here urging you to go to kscohealth.com to order Beyond Tangy Tangerine, the Healthy Start Pack, and other nutritional supplements that I personally use and recommend. You can purchase these premium quality products at wholesale prices online at kscohealth.com. That's kscohealth.com. I'm the pharmacist that believes that staying healthy and strong is not only about medicine, it's about giving your body the raw materials it needs to do its work. Go to kscohealth.com. Make sure you check out the cool videos, too, at kscohealth.com. KSCOHealth.com. That's KSCOHealth.com. Hi, I'm Greg. And I'm Marlene. And we're the hosts of Flavors. On KSCO 1080. We're going to be talking about restaurants, cookbooks. Wine and reviews. And all sorts of other things. If you like olive oils, this is the place. So remember to tune in on Sundays at noon. And remember, Flavors Everything. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us today, my guest is the governor of Colorado, John Hickenlooper. So let's talk about this book you released this spring uh, titled The Opposite of Woe. In your book, you take us on your journey from an unemployed geologist to brewery owner, mayor of Denver, governor of Colorado. In many ways, it's the story of how you went from a private citizen to a government leader and that's what our founding fathers had in mind many years ago, isn't it? Yeah, I think that, that was part of my goal was to kind of, it was a wake-up call for nerds and geeks everywhere. You know, I grew up as a little kid with, I was skinny with thick glasses and acne and, you know, was never, I never ran for student council. I was never involved in any kind of leadership thing. And yet, I think our founding fathers did expect uh, citizens to go out into the world and, and learn lessons in seeking their fortune and is successful and, and, and so inclined should come back and help solve problems and figure out solutions for the, you know, as part of the public service. And there is something ab- about the citizen turned politician that seems to be able to work in a bipartisan environment. You you passed, I think it is five or six consecutive budgets there in Colorado. And that, that takes a bit of doing. Well, we're a purple state and had one, one house was uh, Republican, one house was Democrat. So there was a certain amount of work, but you know, you know, I came out of the restaurant business and you know, it, when you're in the restaurant business and you're really busy, it doesn't matter whether people are Republican or Democrat or a man or a woman. It doesn't matter whether they're gay or straight, uh, Latino, African-American, Anglo, whatever. 
you're all helping each other. You're all part of the same team. And I think, you know, that's what people, I think that come out of small businesses often bring that kind of sensibility that, Hey, we're all here just trying to, trying to make, move the ball down the field, make the, make our community a little safer, a little better, improve jobs, whatever. We're trying to do our little part. So why not work together? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, my son is in the hospitality business and he says, boy, mom, if you just saw the teamwork it takes to bust the tables, get the food out, get the wine in the table and keep filling the water glasses. He said, you wouldn't believe it. It's the epitome of multitasking. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's no question. I always joke. You know, we, we had a big high volume restaurant in Denver and then I went right to being mayor. I never, never, first time I ever ran for anything was mayor of Denver and it was a nonpartisan election or I would have probably had a harder time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I always joke that there are three things that are the, the same in running a big city or running a big restaurant. You never have enough capital. There's never enough money. Second thing is you have a diverse group of people you've got to make into a great team. And, and lastly, the, the public's always pissed off about something. Uh, whether you're in the restaurant business or in public service, uh, this, you know, people hold you to these very high standards, which, again, it, 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 I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes it's unreasonable, but generally, you know, we want to push our public service. We want to push our restaurants to, to give us a better, a better meal at a better price. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, Donald Trump seems to be making the case that the country uh, needs a, a decisive business leader and not a career politician. He also comes from a business background. How do you think that might help him in governing? Well, I think, again, I'm a very different type of business person than Donald Trump was. I mean, there are different kinds of success in business. And, you know, he really has focused on it's all about me. I mean, it's all about his business, and he doesn't really care what happens to his partners. He declares bankruptcy frequently if it serves his purposes. I mean, I, was, I opened 16 restaurants. Each one was a separate business, right? So they were all separate, you know, small, limited liability companies. We had 25 to 35 investors. I had over 200 investors between all my businesses. We did five big, you know, took old warehouses and turned them into lofts and mixed-use projects. I've never been sued, and I've never sued anybody. And that's, I'm kind of the anti-Trump in that sense that, (laughs) you know, he wants to do whatever he can to get every last penny for himself. And it's really all about him. And and that's the part of business I don't think is useful in public service, right? Democracy is based upon empathy of of really caring about that person who you don't even know, but but they're part of your community and you want them to, to, you you want to help them if you can. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so you feel that it's it's his style of running business that's the that's problematic. Yeah, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's so impulsive and, and inconsistent. I mean, in government, you need you're trying to create a predictability for your business community so that they know what's coming down the pike mm-hmm. and that they can make capital investments appropriately. And he is. I mean, he changes. He says one thing and then he changes his mind. Uh, I mean, I think that's a big part from a business perspective of why so many business people that I know have a real problem with him. But, you know, the other part of it is also, again, he is so kind of egocentric. And the president of the United States, he's running for an office that is the most admired and emulated office in probably in the world. And is this who we want? This is the kind of person we want our children to emulate? Someone who's all he sees every kind of a of a tragedy or anything. Is it going to help his business or not? It just, it, it, I, th- I find that very, very uh, depressing. And and yet, at the same time, uh, I think you'll acknowledge that Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, is highly polarized. And it's interesting. You know, I have a lot of governors on this program, and, and it's it almost seems as though the governors of the states seem to be able to work on a bipartisan basis. But somehow there's this division between what goes on in the states and then you get into the nation's capital and it's completely polarized. All the moderates have been driven out. Well, that's it's absolutely true. And Washington right now is just it's just it's gridlock. And yet in the states and and, I was two years ago, I was chair of the National Governors Association and we do work well together. And when I wrote my book, the, the reason we called it the opposite of woe because there's a whole long joke, which I won't go through, but basically, you know, a public speaking professor is asking her class, what is the opposite, you know, the importance of using opposites to create emotional impact. And she asks, what's the opposite of despair? Kid says joy. She says, what's the opposite of woe? And the kid way in the back says, giddy up. (laughs) 
<laughs> and for governors, the opposite of woe is to giddy up, right? Yes, it is. Actually, just, it's it's a metaphor for <laughs> for for it's what needs to be a, done. Yes, it's it's why it's such a good joke, and it's why I made it the title of my book. That you know, the opposite of woe is 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 just rolling up your sleeves and saying, "All right, we're not going to quit. We're going to work harder on this because it's important." That's right. But how do you change the uh, the the polarization in the nation's capital? Well, part of it is figuring out how to get uh, people that are more moderate elected. Uh, part of it is, mm-hmm. is that we're all holding, each party is holding all of their elected officials as hostages and saying, if you vote against this one issue, you vote against this other issue, we're going to get make sure you have a primary, we're going to get you out of office. Yes. That's not the way the game's supposed to be played. Uh, I, I don't know how we change it. Part of it is the, is the attack ads that we see. Mm-hmm. You, know, you never see in the private sector, Coca-Cola and Pepsi compete I'm, I'm, oh my God, do they compete hard? And yet you never see attack ads that Coke doesn't do an attack against Pepsi because it would work. Pepsi would have no choice. They'd have to do an attack ad against Coke. Coke would attack Pepsi. Pepsi would attack Coke. You would depress sales in the entire product category of soft drinks. What we're doing with all the attack ads in politics is we're, de- we're depressing the product category of democracy. And people just tune out. Especially young people, they stop paying attention to the details of of, of public policy. And that's, you know, the American form of democracy is the best there is, but it requires people to pay attention and be involved. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right about that. And I do think the consequence will be, and I, this is a prediction of mine, we were, are going to see extremely low voter turnout, particularly in this election, uh, because it is the epitome of polarization. Now, I understand, Governor, that you have to leave the program early today uh, because you've got state's business to attend to. But <laughs> I uh, but I want to mention the book again. It's, it's called The Opposite of Woe, and we heard the reason why <laughs> it's it's titled that. And I love that story. Uh, Giddy up. That ought to be the theme for every governor. And I'd like to see it the theme in in Washington, D.C. But I understand that you have got to leave. But I do. Before you leave, I do want to take this opportunity to thank you for your leadership. I respect you so much for taking a position on marijuana. And then when the voters uh, uh, approved the legalization, you said, you know, I'm here to serve the voters. So I'm going to figure out a way to make it work. And by golly, you have. And uh, appreciate that very much. Thank you for your service to our country and thank you for making time to be with us today governor rebecca thanks so much for having me on i appreciate it we have to take our final intermission but stay tuned for an update on the current race to the white house you're listening to the costa report I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli of Caraccioli Cellars, recent winners of the best sparkling wine in the U.S. in the Champagne and Sparkling Wine World Championship. Congratulations, Scott. Thank you, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. So what is it about your Brute Cuvée that beat all the other competitors around the world? We really focus on creating an expression of the Santa Lucia Highlands and doing it the right way. And when you control the process from the beginning to the end and you have talent like Michelle and top-tier grapes, they really shine through. This was a worldwide competition. It was definitely a humbling experience. We were in a room with producers that have been making wine for over 100, 200 years and was a huge honor to have Tom Stevenson give us the best you sparkling wine award we fared really well overall we had three wines win best of class which was great visit the caraccioli tasting room on dolores street in carmel by the sea or find us online at caracciolicellars.com or reach us by phone 831-622-7722 big data is changing the way organizations work from data-driven marketing and ad targeting to the connected car, Big Data is fueling product innovation and new revenue opportunities. It's creating a culture in which business and IT leaders join forces to realize value from all data. They infuse analytics everywhere and make speed a differentiator, gaining competitive advantage from faster, more informed decisions. Leading organizations are creating new business models, developing new roles, and defining new big data architectures, including an infrastructure that can manage and process exploding volumes of structured and unstructured data, in motion as well as at rest, while protecting data privacy and security. 
find out how IBM Big Data and Analytics can transform your business, visit www.ibm.com slash big data today. Happy Dog Hot Dogs, a local favorite and Santa Cruz's only bright red hot dog cart located at the corner of River Street in Josephine. Serving the best and freshest locally made gourmet sausages from Los Gatos Smokehouse and Coralitos Market. With over 25 different toppings to choose from, it's guaranteed fun in a bun. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 2. Go buy today. Happy Dog Hot Dogs and have fun in a bun. Is your internet connection slow? Etheric Networks can help you. Etheric Networks is the Bay Area's locally owned alternative to DSL satellite and cable. We do a few things to make our service better. We have a great reputation, and our staff is committed to providing a great user experience. We listen to our customers and listen to our staff. We pay living wages. Our staff are local Bay Area engineers and professionals. We provide flexibility and personalized service. Being in Silicon Valley, we have direct contact with the networking software and hardware companies and can bring new technologies to market before the cable and phone companies. We operate a tower-based fixed wireless network as well as a fiber-optic backbone network that rings the bay. The combination creates an ultra-reliable high-capacity network that you ought to try. KSCO Business Special. Business service up to 10 megabits per second symmetric for as little as $299 a month with a $399 installation fee. Etheric Networks. Call 650-399-4200. Etheric.net. The Cannabis Connection is the educational outlet for all to engage with policy, science, culture, and local developments in order to orient the community in the rapidly evolving cannabis renaissance. Our goal is to open a dialogue surrounding the potential that this plant provides to heal people's ailments, but also heal our society from a social and economic standpoint. Tune in to The Cannabis Connection, Friday nights, 8 to 9 p.m. on KSEO AM 1080. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and unfortunately, Governor John Hickenlooper of Colorado had to leave early to attend a state's business, but that gives me an opportunity to give you a quick update on how the race to the White House is stacking up. Uh, I'll get, try to summarize uh, the events of this week. At the present time, Real Clear Politics, which is the Internet site that offers the results of every major presidential poll in the United States and averages them out, uh, shows Secretary Clinton pulling away from uh, a previous dead heat with Mr. Trump uh, between the uh, CNN Quinnipiac and Fox News polls, Trump is trailing by 18 to 24 points. That's a tremendous uh, uh, lead. Uh, Though I will point out that the real clear politics average of all polls combined shows Clinton with a much smaller, uh, around a five-point lead. Uh, uh, This week, as uh, Trump's new campaign team kicked into action, the GOP candidate began offering specific specific statistics and data to support his claims and also reaching out to the uh, black and um, uh, and other minority communities. He's he's campaigning heavily in swing states like Ohio, where he has a, a lot of ground to make up. Trump also seems to be adjusting to uh, reading a teleprompter, uh, which as a person who has had to do that for television for some number of years, uh, I can tell you, is a very difficult thing to do and uh, look natural while you're doing it. It's no trick to read those teleprompters. Trump is on a steep learning curve, but uh, there's empirical evidence that he's adapting to his new role. He's he's also softening a bit on uh, his immigration policy and tax reform. And in that process, we can see that he's gradually moving to the middle to uh, cater to new voters, which is uh, what he has to do. In the meantime, a federal judge has ordered that 15,000 documents, which include new emails, uh, are to be reviewed by the FBI as part of their investigation into Clinton's home email server debacle. And it's uh, unclear whether this is going to have any impact on the race uh, until that review is uh, completed. 
but one thing that's likely to have an impact is the fact that Clinton and her husband have made it clear that they will distance themselves from the Clinton Foundation and will not accept donations from foreign contributors uh, should she be elected president. Um, evidence of the pay-for-play seems to be mounting uh, tainting her years as Secretary of State and the uh, real purpose of the Clinton Foundation uh, seems to be coming up to question. At the present time, Clinton has a 52% unfavorability rating. Trump is at 63%, indicating that v- the vast majority of the country is not thrilled with either of the candidates. In comparison, 51% of Americans, just over half, approve of how President Obama is handling the nation's business. Uh, The top issue in the presidential race this week continues to be the economy, followed by immigration, and uh, in third place is health care. Defense and education as issues that Americans care about today uh, is trailing far behind uh, the economy, immigration, and health care. That's kind of a surprise given all the campaign talk about secure servers and ISIS. And finally, Gallup released a poll this week indicating that 63% of Americans agree with requiring voters to show identification. So from all accounts, this seems to be a requirement that most Americans are in favor of, and not this political lightning rod some politicians have made it out to be. Uh, if you are a longtime listener, then you know that I am one of the new 42% of voters who, according to Gallup, claim that they are an independent. And uh, I, I am therefore inclined to vote for whichever candidate is the best for the country, irrespective of their political party. Now, I have also promised to keep you informed the minute I make my decision as to who I will cast my one and only vote for, uh, as well as my reasons. <laughs> this election, more than any others, will be decided by independents. And for the most part, like me, they remain largely undecided. Regrettably, nothing occurred this week to help me decide. The GOP keeps talking about the email server, Benghazi, and the Clinton Foundation, and uh, monies that Mrs. Clinton accepted for public speaking. And the Democrats continue to take aim at Trump's temperament, recklessness, and uh, lack of experience. As there were no new developments this week, other than those the media blew out of proportion in order to just fill good old airtime, the undecided voters remain undecided, and both candidates run the risk of a historically low voter turnout unless they succeed in engaging voters outside of their respective political parties. In the event that no new information appears between now and Election Day, then it is likely that the live debates will carry much more weight than they normally do, and the race may be well be over after the first live debate. Which, by the way, ought to be a debate with no moderator. <laughs> if this is the first time you're hearing this, you'll be in shock. Moderators are getting in the way of our ability to see the candidates in live action in their natural habitat. All the structure, the deliberate questions, the time limits and rules put on the candidates, uh, they, they put them in an artificial environment, not in a real uh, in a conversational environment. But, but imagine for just a moment that both candidates walk out on the stage, take a seat at a table, And nobody does anything. All we do is watch them have a conversation and watch how the conversation evolves. A conversation with no rules, no moderators, no referees. Who would start? Who would be the first to speak? What would they say? Would they interrupt and talk over each other? Would they attack? Would they listen politely? Would they get defensive? Would they take things personally? These are things that can only come forward if you allow a moderate moderator-less debate. Let them just sit at a table 
and have an hour of time in prime time to talk to one another. What would that hour conversation between Trump and Clinton sound like with nobody refereeing and manipulating the discussion? This is certainly something to think about. I have been big on this no moderator debate for the past 10 years. And, you know, I've even sat down with the number one moderator in the United States, the man who's moderated more debates than anyone else, Jim Lair of the McNeil Lair Report. And I asked him about this. And he said that more than any other election, wouldn't it be interesting? This election has broken every rule. It has broken every every way that we look at a political election. Why not switch up the debates as well? I'd like to see a different debate for uh, format for this particular election. And I would like to see the moderators step aside and allow the candidates to go head-to-head, nose-to-nose, and and allow them an hour or two during prime time because so many Americans are undecided right now. And I think those undecideds cannot make up their mind because they see the candidates in, in artificial environments and we need to get to the truth. And one way to get to the truth is not to have people um, overcoached and uh, manipulated by the format itself. So I'd like to see a, uh, a debate where there is no moderator. And if you're in favor of that, by all means, you know, you should let both parties know that. And uh, that just about does it for this hour, folks. Uh, If you are a station that's uh, leaving us after this first hour of the Costa Report and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with Governor John Hickenlooper, uh, who I want to thank again for being our first hour guest, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or you can also drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. And if you missed the full interview uh, with Mr. Hickenlooper, you can download the entire episode from our website at RebeccaCosta.com, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and our YouTube channel. My guest next week is Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Glenn Greenwald, who you know for his role in helping Edward Snowden bring evidence of NSA surveillance on U.S. citizens to the public. Don't miss the opportunity to be the first to find out what Glenn Greenwald has up his sleeve next week right here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for a second hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to The Costa Report. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management